Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Before I start, I just want to say uh, it's my greatest honor and privilege uh, to be the youth pastor here at Seven Rivers Church. I really um, love your kids, um, love getting to work with your students, love what's happening with Camp Seven Rivers, watching these middle school and high school students serve, love seeing kids running the camera, kids in the back on the sound booth, kids in the children's ministry working it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's a gift. It's just a blessing. So I just, I love being your guys' youth pastor. So with that being said, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3.16 in chapter 4. And the question that I want you to think about right now is, are you afraid to die? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you even believe and things like this, that there's a place after death, a life after death? What do we see with our eyes? Where do our bodies go? What do we observe? We observe that our bodies go to the ground, into the grave, or into the furnace to be cremated. We see people born with our eyes, and we see people die with our eyes. No one on this planet, under the sun, has ever escaped being born and dying. It's inescapable. So think about this. Is there any meaning to life in your story if it's simply birth and death? Is there any meaning to what you do, achieve, accomplish? Does it matter if you make a mess with your life? Everyone ends up in the same place, in the ground. We turn into dust. We are remembered for just a moment and then forgotten. Under the sun, on this planet, on earth, there's nothing more guaranteed for you and I than that one day we will die. So let's read Ecclesiastes 3, 16, in chapter 4 to verse 3. Will you stand with me? This is God's word spoken to you. It will last forever, much longer than my words and much longer than yours. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time for every matter, for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust they return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. 
So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should just rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is God's word, spoken to you. Are you listening? Do you hear what he's saying? You may take a seat. You and I, we're living in a story, okay? It involves a painful childbirth and it involves a painful death. We live our whole lives on this planet within those bookends. We live our whole lives coping with that ending trying to figure out if we can maybe change it, trying to figure out if we can create a better story because a story where the main character dies, it's a bad story. It's not good, right? A story where you die, it's not a good story, right? So we live life trying to change it, trying to fix it. <clears throat> we work as hard as we possibly can every second to make our lives worth the death that is coming for us. Or maybe we spend our lives indulging, grossly seeking pleasure. Either way, you're coping. And maybe it's a mixture of both. You're trying to deal with this painful reality and truth that you die just like everyone else. That you die just like your pets. Just like your goldfish. Just like ants. And just like leaves. There is a time coming when you will be no more. This is hard to think about. It's sad to think about. It makes you uncomfortable. It, makes, it scares me. It's painful. There's a temptation, though, to never think about things like this, to stay positive, to avoid this painful reality, and really just to avoid the reality that, in the end, we all end up in the same place. The reason why we want to avoid it is because it makes our lives feel meaningless. Questions like, does our life matter if we die, are not often welcomed or invited in our conversations and our minds. It hurts too much to think about dying. It hurts too much to think that your life might be pointless. So you ignore it and avoid it. My grandma we would leave from like our house to go to church or we would leave from our house to go to a restaurant out to eat and we would drive separate and my family would arrive at a certain point in time and sure enough, 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes later, my grandma would show up. And we're like, what in the world is going on? Why does she always, we leave at the same time, always end up showing up so much later than us wherever we go. And what we realize is that my grandma hated graveyards, and she would know all the routes throughout the whole entire town to avoid driving past graveyards. Why would she do this? Graveyards reminded her of her end. She did not want to be reminded. 
Ecclesiastes invites you to walk through the graveyard, to drive by the graveyard, to stop ignoring the fact that you die. For this moment, this morning, think about it. Go there with me. Lament it. Feel it. Let it bury you. Read the names etched on the headstones. Read the names etched on the headstones of the ones you love. Remember and weep over the ones that are closest to you that have passed away. Allow it to wash over you and maybe let it overwhelm you this morning. Drown in these thoughts. Let them bring you to your end. Everything under the sun, everything under the sun, what does that mean? It means living life like God does not exist. Living under the sun is an addiction to earthly things. When Ecclesiastes says we are under the sun, I want you to imagine this with me. Think about a room. It has four walls, right? You have no idea what's outside these four walls. You're alone in this room. And there's a table that you're seated at. There's a glass cup on this table filled to the brim with a black liquid. It's poison. And the problem that you have is you're thirsty. But you're alone. And the only thing offered to drink is a cup full of poison. Billie Eilish is a popular secular artist in our culture. She made a music video that actually draws this same picture. Here's a little snippet of the scene. Here she is in a room with four walls, with a table and a cup filled to brim with poison. And as the music video goes along, you can tell that she wants to drink it, but she knows that if she drinks it, then she will die. But she also knows that if she does not drink it, she will die of thirst. So what does she choose to do? As the music video plays along, she chooses to take the cup and to drink it and empty it. And then the scene goes like this. She weeps, but her tears are the black liquid from the cup. She weeps, and then she dies. This is life under the sun. Under the sun, there's one option, death. It takes you who is born and says that the ending of your story is the same as everyone else's. If you drink this cup, you die. If you don't drink it, you die. What you do with it does not matter. Your life is meaningless under the sun without God. At the end of our lives, what do you get from how good you are or how bad you are? We live in a world where we desperately need water. But what does this world offer us? A cup full of poison. Under the sun, point number one. Are you guys ready? The crisis. The situation, the conflict. What is the conflict in your story? What is the crisis in your life? Maybe you sit in here right now and the crisis that you believe that you have and that you're facing in this moment is you don't have enough money. College students, you feel that, right? Maybe the crisis in your life is that your father never said, well done, I am proud of you. 
In fact, maybe with his silence and with his own words, he said this to you. You're not good enough. I always wish you would have become more. I always wish you were like your older brother. I always wish you were like me. Maybe the crisis in your life is that your siblings are more successful than you. They have better jobs, bigger houses, better children. Maybe they're better looking. Maybe the crisis in your life is that you hate yourself. You look in the mirror and can't stand what you see. You know in your own heart you constantly, over and over again, beat yourself up. You're relentless in tearing yourself down. And you live life trying to silence that inner critic, that inner shame and guilt. Maybe the crisis in your life is that you're depressed. You don't feel alive. You're aimless. You're lost. There's too many questions. There's not enough answers. What are you facing? Is it possible for you to solve the problems you face, the crisis you face? Think about it. Maybe. Isn't that what the world sells us through its branding and advertisements? You have this problem, so try this. You have this disease, so try this medicine. Maybe you are able to solve your problems like this, these crises. Ecclesiastes says, no matter what you do, if you conquer your problems or you don't, your life is still meaningless. Your story doesn't matter under the sun. Why? Because you die. Whether you conquer it or not, you die. Just like the losers, just like the failures, just like the ones who can't get it together, just like the broken and the unhealable. We all end up in the same place. This really rubs us the wrong way, right? I think one of the reasons why it does is because we believe we're the hero of our stories. We believe that if I just try hard enough, if I just do this, go here, try this, work at this, then maybe my crisis will dissolve. Maybe I can solve my crisis. Death is the ultimate crisis. Death makes every effort here on earth for you to solve your little crises seem pointless. Death sobered us to the reality that our problems and our everyday issues are microscopic in its wake. Death is the sign and seal, the final evidence of proof, the sacrament that you can experience to know for sure that life is meaningless under the sun. It's the final chapter of your life. And what your death reveals to you is this. You're not much of a hero. Sure, you made some money. Sure, you broke free from your addiction. Sure, you solved your problems. Sure, you became the best at something. Sure, you have a master's degree, a PhD. But you're still dead. Ecclesiastes 3, 19, 20. What happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. The same breath man and the beast have. What advantage does man have over the beast? All go to one place. All are from the dust. To dust, all return. If in the end you die, think about this with me. If in the end, under the sun, you're going to be buried, would it not be better to have never lived? 
to have never had to suffer, to have never had to face crisis and tragedy. I wrestle with these questions often, especially with my journey with my daughter, Blakely. She was diagnosed in the womb with a terminal illness. And I would ask, would it be better for her to not be born? Would it be better for to her, for her to have never lived? What does Ecclesiastes says? Four, two, through three. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Under the sun, without God, it is better for you to have never been born. Blakely was born on April 28, 2017. She died on February 18, 2018. Under the sun, it is better for her to have never been born. As a daddy, I've worked really hard to try to remember her. I've done a lot of things to try to honor her and to honor her life. But it's meaningless. It does not matter. Everyone who lives under the sun dies. It's the ultimate crisis in our stories. How can we face it? How can we resolve it? Blakely has invited me into the graveyard. She brought me to the end of myself. And on her last day, I could not save her from death. I failed. What kind of father lets their child die? Under the sun, the resolve, point two. Can you be the hero of your story? Can you make a better ending than a death? How did we get here? How do we get to a place where we live without God? How do we get into a room with four walls, a table, and a cup full of poison that must be emptied? There was once a day where we walked with God. We talked with God face to face. Adam and Eve in the garden would walk with him in the cool of the day. So what happened? You made the story about you. You think right now in this room that this story that you're living out is about you. You declared yourself as the hero. You took matters into your own hands. In the garden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit because they envied God. They wanted to be the main character in the story, and they were out of line. They were wrong. And because of this, all their children for all eternity must die just like animals and plants die. In the end, you're simply dust. There's another test that God sets before us in Ecclesiastes 3.18. It says God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That's what death is. It's testing you to see your mortality. 
is testing to see and to show you that you are not the hero. There's another test that's very common. Evangelists use this all the time. Um, I was trained when I was growing up in campus ministry to ask people this question when I wanted to lead people to see the reality that they need Jesus. Uh, this is the question. If you were to die today and go to heaven, and God asks, why should I let you in? So if you were to go to sleep tonight and not wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden you find yourself at the gates of heaven, and God says, why should I let you in? What is your response? Would you say, God, let me in because I'm good. Let me in because I took myself from poverty to riches, and then I gave a lot of my money away. Let me in because I'm a self-made businessman or woman because I wasn't that bad because I worked really hard and I did a lot of good things to the quote unquote Christians in the room would you say this let me in God because I believe in Jesus let me in God because I have faith Alistair Begg a preacher says this if you answer this question with I, with the first person, then you are wrong. The only answer is in the third person. You should let me in because he, because he said I could come. Who is this third person? Who is this he? Is there another person in the room with you in that table and that cup of poison? Ecclesiastes is very clear. You can't be the hero. You can't solve the crisis of death. It makes it clear that the, actually the reason why you have to drink that cup of poison is because you're the problem. And actually, you're the villain. Maybe your story is not about you. But maybe it's about someone else. Maybe there is a hero, but it's not you. The only way for there to be resolve is for someone to break into the room with you and that cup. For one of those walls to come crumbling down and for a new character to enter the scene. Is there another character? Is there a he in your story? Ecclesiastes says that under the sun there is another character. It's God. How does God solve this crisis of death? What's the resolve? It's judgment. It's judgment. That is how he will make all things right. Ecclesiastes 3, 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. The fact that God is in the story is scary for sinners. He is against sin. Sin is in you. God is against you. Romans 5 says you are God's enemies. So in judgment, in judgment, before God, will you be found righteous or will you be found wicked? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless, meaningless. No one does good, not even one. 
God looks down from heaven on you. He looks into the room where you sit with that table and that cup of poison and declares you wicked and corrupt. Think about this, our ocean has an island full of garbage. It's the size of India, Europe, and Mexico combined. Think about this, 27% of our coral reefs have been destroyed. We've already lost 80% of our forests. We're using 50% more natural resources than the earth can provide, and at our current population, we are in desperate need of 1.5 earths, which we do not have. Maybe that's why Elon Musk is building a rocket. In the story of our world, what's the crisis? It's you. This world is dying. It's because of you. How will this be made right? It's through death and judgment. The death and judgment of you. This is the resolve. We are not the heroes. We are the villains, God's enemies. So the cup of poison that sits before you is justice. It's what I deserve. It's what you deserve. I'm so thirsty. I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. I'm desperate to drink. Our lives are meaningless because of our own doing. Who's gonna drink this cup of poison? Who's gonna drink it? Life under the sun is meaningless. You are in a room, you need water, but all we have to drink is poison. Ecclesiastes wants us to ask another question. It doesn't directly ask it, but it forces you to. It makes you want to ask, is there another way? Is there another way where I don't have to drink this cup of poison? What are you feeling right now? You feel like something's wrong. It's because there is something really wrong. And it's you. All that is written in this book is very true about all things under the sun. It's a walk in the graveyard. It's a walk through life without God. Judgment's coming. Death is coming for both of us. Someone has to be judged and someone has to die. Ecclesiastes is a lament over this situation, but it's also a cry out to God. It's a cry out to our judge, the one who gives us the sentence of death. It's a cry out to him to enter the scene, to enter the room, and to make another way where we are not judged where we don't die. It's a cry out for mercy and grace. It's a cry for God to break down the walls and instead of judging you, he sweeps you off your feet. It's a cry for him to come down from heaven, to live under the sun and to rescue you from death. Beloveds, dear friends, do you want to be rescued? Does walking in the graveyards, seeing the tombstones, make you actually want to live? Do you realize that you can't save yourself? Do you realize that you're dying? No matter how young you are, you're dying. 
At Disney World, there's this live action Disney play experience. It's really cool. You get to be part of a story. You get to be part of a Disney story, a Disney moment. And they set up the scene and they bring in the characters. And so in this scenario, there's this little girl. She's in a wheelchair. She's diagnosed with a terminal illness. And she's on oxygen. And this family, they bring in this little girl into this experience, into the scene, into the story of beauty and the beast. Where a beast is loved and the curse is broken. They bring this little girl who's facing death, who's facing a crisis she cannot solve into this scene. And they give everyone little roles and little characters and props to play a part in the scene. And sure enough, the scene unfolds and finally the moment comes for the main character to enter into the room, for the main character to step into the scene. It's Belle, the princess, in her beautiful yellow dress and her crown. And as she enters the scene, she says her lines, but then she breaks out of the scene because she sees the little girl in the wheelchair. She walks up to her and kneels and takes off her crown and crowns her and says, you are my princess. You are my princess. We are in a room right now, four walls. Jesus enters the scene. Right now, the hero is here. In this moment, he offers you his place. He offers this to you who are broken and under judgment and under the curse of death, his love. He took on flesh. He lived under the sun. He lived under judgment and under death. He allowed it to happen to him. Right now in this present moment, he's not here to judge you. He's here to rescue you. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. He wants you to know that because he wants you to drink his cup. He reaches out his hand and takes your cup of poison and drinks it. And with his other hand, he offers you a new cup that will spare your life from judgment and death. If you're going to serve communion, I invite you up um, to prepare um, for the table. Seven Rivers Church, your death is a sign and seal. It's the sacrament where you experience the confirmation that life is meaningless under the sun. But this table, this meal, the Lord's Supper, Jesus' death is the sign and seal and the sacrament where you taste and see the confirmation that life matters with Jesus. So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he walked into a room with four walls. It was called the upper room. And there sat his beloved friends. He sat at the table, and there was bread, and there was wine. And he took the bread, 
He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he told them this, don't drink the cups that are in front of you, but drink my cup. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Someone has to be judged. Someone has to die for what has been done under this sun. Someone has to drink that cup of poison. Will it be you or will it be Jesus? So when you eat this bread right now and when you drink this cup, you're proclaiming the death of Jesus over your life as the payment in full of your judgment. Broken children, worn down children, hopeless children, Come and eat and drink in remembrance of God's love for you and in remembrance of an incredible story where the hero saves the villains. This is a glorious story where children like Blakely matter. This is a glorious story where terminally ill children are crowned as princesses. I remember in the hospital, Blakely's final days. You know what the nurses did for her? They made her a throne. And they gave her a crown, and they called her queen. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? She's dying. It's because it's a glorious story. Death is not the end. Your life matters in Jesus. We need water. The world offers us poison. Jesus says, there's another way. Jesus says, here's my cup. Come and drink it and live. This table is only for those who know Jesus and who are known by him. If you have not come to Jesus, don't come and take this meal. But would you rather stay seated and pray the prayer in your bulletin and take Jesus for your own. But if you know him, children of God, come, eat and drink. Draw near to Jesus. Come with your hands open, ready to receive him because he's here. The hero is in the room. And he loves you. listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.